0: Well, good morning again. Today, we are going to be talking a lot about the history of First Baptist Church of San Francisco. But the one thing that I want to make clear from the very beginning is that our goal on this day is not to look at our history and say, man, what an amazing church. It's not to say, wow, look at what an amazing looking congregation. What cool pastors First Baptist has had in its history. Our goal in all of this is to point to God and say, what an amazing God that we serve. What an amazing God that he has planted and he's sustained and he's continuing this work that he has started in the city of San Francisco. We wanna look at him because you see, this book, The Scriptures, it contains a lot of stories about people, ordinary people like you and me. It contains a lot of stories about churches, the entire New Testament, most of the New Testament is written to churches that are in major urban settings like we are today. But the point of this book is not us. The point of the Bible and from beginning to end is to help reveal to us who God is. It's to here to reveal to us over and to remind us over and over again of the mighty deeds that God has done in the history of the world. And so today, as we think about our history, I want us to focus on one primary characteristic of God. It's all over these banners. It's what we've been talking about this morning. It's his faithfulness. We started out the service this morning saying, great is your faithfulness. That word faithful is a word that we use that that talks about trustworthiness, of dependability. Uh, We use this word when we're talking about people who say they're going to do something. They make a commitment, they make vows, and then they live up to their word. They go and do it. The opposite of that word, of course, is unfaithful. We use that of, of oftentimes a failed marriage where someone has stood before another person, they've made vows, they've entered into covenant with that person, but they were unable to to remain and to keep those vows. They're unfaithful. When we use this word of God, really what we're saying is this, the God of scripture, the God that we worship, he can be relied upon. When God makes a promise, When God says something, when when God enters into a covenant, friends, you can take it to the bank, it is going to happen because he is faithful. Now, I realize that in our culture, to say that God is always faithful, without exception, that everything that he says comes true, I realize that for some of you in this room, that may sound a little bit like a fairy tale. And the reason for that is because we're surrounded, our lives are surrounded by broken promises, for instance, for many of you, you, you come into this room and maybe even this last week, a coworker told you they'd give you the information that they need, that you need, and they didn't. For some of you, you, you your parents and your kid, they said they were going to clean their room and they didn't. For some of you who are students, you had a friend that said, yes, I will help you with that group project, but they didn't. Over and over, we see broken promises. People say they're going to do something and then they don't. We're surrounded by promise breakers. But the reality is if we are honest with ourselves, who's one of the biggest promise breakers out there? It's me, right? You look at your own life. I love having kids. Kids are a gift from God. But one of the tough things about kids is that they are never afraid to call you out. My kids are very good at this. Uh, Oftentimes I'll be in my home and I'll be working on the computer, I'll be doing something, I'll be trying to to focus and one of my children will come up and they'll say, dad, can we do this? Or dad, can we do that? Me trying to kind of get them to move on, what do I say? Yeah, sure, we'll do that in a little bit and I just kind of keep working. I give them my word, I will do this when I'm done. Well, hours go by, I of course forget that they had ever requested that and wouldn't you know it, right when I'm trying to get them to go to bed, what do they say? Dad, you said we were going to do this together. Well, in that moment, it's a little bit of a painful moment as a parent because you know they're right. Like I gave them my word and I've broken my word. And so I usually respond with something super spiritual like, well, you said you were gonna clean your room, so go to bed. So <laughs> we're promise breakers. Every single one of us in this room are unfaithful. We make commitments that we don't keep. We're, we give our word. We say we're going to do something but then we don't. Well, friends, as you think about this, it's important that we do not base our view of God on the broken promises of other people. The scriptures over and over again declare God is faithful. His word is dependable. When he makes promises, he keeps them. It says this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 117 says this, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And what? And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 119, your faithfulness endures not just one generation, but to all generations, you have established the earth and it stands fast. God's faithfulness is evident throughout this book. It's faithful. He's faithful to Abraham. He's faithful to Moses, to Esther, to Ruth, San Francisco. First disciples and friends, he has been faithful to First Baptist Church of San Francisco. I want us this morning to consider three aspects of God's faithfulness. The very first aspect is this, God is faithful to begin. He's faithful to begin. In our home, there's a painting that has all of the names of God on it. Uh, It's a beautiful painting. It's probably my favorite thing in our house. But on that painting, there's one name of God that has always kind of stood up because it's at the very top of the list on the second paragraph, and it says this, that God is a faithful creator. Now, that's an important name. That's an important title, faithful creator, because here's what it tells us. It tells us that God alone is trustworthy. Why? Because God alone is the designer and creator of all things. Everything in the earth, from the largest mountain to the smallest particle, is part of his handiwork. He designed it. He knows our design, and he created us. Now, What I love about that is that when you look at the book of Genesis, it tells us that we as hum- humans, that before the beginning of time, he loved us and he created us for relationship with him. He is a faithful creator. The problem, though, is that the rest of the Bible reveals that we are a very unfaithful creation. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and Genesis 3 tells us that instead of obeying God, instead of worshiping him, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed him. And the reality is every single one of us from that moment on have done the same thing. We have all lived as if we are at the center of the universe and not God. We've not given him the worship that he is worthy of. We've not obeyed him. We've done whatever we want to do. We've believed whatever we want to believe. And the tragic result of that is two things. Number one, separation from God. There's a chasm between us and our God that we can't fix on our own because of our sin. But number two, it's this whole broken world that we live in. The spiritual brokenness, the physical brokenness, the emotional brokenness, all of the brokenness is a result of our sin. You would think that God would look at humans and He would say, "Well, well, good riddance then. My creation, not worshiping me, rebelling against me, will forget you, but he doesn't do that. Why? Because He's a faithful creator. And it says that from the moment we entered into sin and this world was broken, that God put together a plan to bring us back into relationship with him. He put together a plan to bring forgiveness of our sins so that we would not have to be separated from him forever. The Old Testament points forward to this plan, to the culmination, which, of course, is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to see the faithfulness of God, you need to look no further than Jesus Christ. Because I I think about this, most people assume, and I would even say most religions teach the same thing, that if I am good enough, if I do all of these rituals, if I check off all of these lists, if I can just do all these things, then I can be accepted by God. If I will be good enough, then I can be approved by God. Friends, Christianity says the exact opposite. It says, even though we were separated from him, God loved us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live the perfect life that we cannot live. He was good on our behalf. But not only that, he died a death for us. Jesus' death on the cross, maybe you're new this morning, you've never heard this this morning. Jesus' death on the cross was him taking on the punishment for sin that we deserved. We deserve death. We rebelled against God. But Jesus, the Son of God, took that upon Himself so that we could be forgiven. And then finally, in the greatest act of victory, Jesus Himself rose from the dead, showing that death is not the end, showing that eternal life can be found, but it's only found through Him. Friends, if you doubt God's faithfulness, you need to look no further than Jesus Christ. God has done everything needed to secure your salvation. He has done everything needed to make you into a new creation, to give you spiritual life. And friends, that is what we are here to celebrate today. God is faithful to begin a new work, not just in our church, but in us. He's willing to change us from the inside out. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what that means is if anyone has put their trust in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice this, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's my main point this morning. God is the one who is faithful to begin a new work in our lives. Our spiritual beginnings are not due to our own wisdom. They're not due to our own sense of goodness. They're not not due to our works. Our spiritual life is birthed by God alone. He creates us into new creations. And friends, this directly relates to the history of First Baptist Church. Uh, When you came in, you received a bulletin, and it has a timeline of of the history, and one of the most amazing things always to me about our history has been how this church started. Uh, You have to remember that in the 1840s, San Francisco was nothing like it is today, right? It was a small, tent city called Yerba Buena, and it did not have a good reputation. In fact, the founding pastor of First Baptist Church was a guy named Osgood Wheeler, and when his mission board came to him in New Jersey and said, we want you to go plant the very first Protestant church on the West Coast, you want to know what he said? Not interested. (laughs) I'm not going. And who's to blame him? The president of that mission board called this area the darkest place on earth, Said he would rather go here than China or anywhere else around the world. And yet, thankfully, it wasn't those two men who were in control of this church's future. It was God. And so, no matter how many times Osgood Wheeler said, No, God, I I cannot do that, God kept burdening him and his wife, who was named Elizabeth. Kept burdening, kept burdening. And finally, in November of 1848, there was a night where they could not sleep. It was as if God's thumbprint was right on them, calling them, I want you to go. And after a night of sleeplessness and prayer, they stood before the Lord and they said, okay, we will go. Well, here's what's amazing to me. That prayer where God called Osgood Wheeler and his wife to leave their place and come to San Francisco was one month before news of gold made its way to the East Coast. God knew what Osgood Wheeler did not know. And that was by the time that he took his multi-month journey all the way to the Bay Area that thousands upon thousands of people from all over the world were gonna be flocking to this city. From the very beginning, God had a plan to establish his church to be a light for the nations in the city of San Francisco. And I think that is amazing. God is faithful trials in the early days of this chain, that that the work of God is easy? No. They met plenty of trials in the early days of this church. In fact, uh, there was a statement. Caprice has done a lot of research for us as we were planning for this day. And there's a statement that Osgood Wheeler made as he thought about the people of San Francisco. And I just want to read this to you. He said this. He said, I love my work. But have never seen a harder task than to get a man to look through a lump of gold into eternity. Have you ever felt that way with some of your friends here? The new gold may be technology, maybe cap- venture capitalism, but it's that same thing. It was hard. Ministry was hard. And he realized I cannot do this on my own. I cannot create new spiritual life in the people of this city. But you want to know who can? Our faithful creator. And just after one year of that prayer, where God had caught Osgood Wheeler, one year later, the very first resident of San Francisco gave their life to Jesus Christ. If you can imagine a crowd of people going down the main street, surrounded by the mayor and dignitaries, people from other lands, coming to watch the very first baptism of First Baptist Church of San Francisco. Sorry, October of 1849. That's exactly what happened. The first person in San Francisco was baptized as a picture of their old life being gone, that they were a new creation in Jesus Christ. Well friends, by God's grace, over the last 170 years, we have continued to see God be a faithful creator, to create new spiritual life in this city. And today, we get to continue the amazing gift of watching baptism of seeing somebody who has given their life to Jesus Christ. That old person is gone. The new person is alive in him. Now, thankfully, we don't have to march all the way to the bay waters and get in the freezing cold water. We have the modern convenience of a baptistry. But now, if you would, please turn your attention to the baptistry where we get to celebrate a baptism this morning.
1: I don't know what Ryan's talking about. It's a little cold. That's... <laughs> Well, good morning, First SF. Um, I'm so excited to be here to celebrate our 170th birthday. Just uh, thankful for what God has done for 170 years, and hopefully what he'll do past all of us are alive, continue to move in San Francisco and be a light here in San Francisco. Uh, Here at First SF, we believe that a person comes to faith by hearing the word of God, Um, by believing the word of God, uh, the gospel that Ryan just mentioned, believing the gospel is true and then confessing their sins and repenting of their sins to walk in the newness of life with Christ. And after a person does that, uh, the the very next thing that we encourage them to do is to get baptized. That's just an outward expression of your inward commitment to follow Jesus Christ with your life. And I'm very excited today that we get to celebrate that with Timmy Ta today. So I'm going to invite Timmy to come out, and Timmy's going to share his testimony with us.
2: Good morning, First S.F. I'm really happy today because uh, I've been wanting to get baptized for a very long time. And I'm even more happy because I have my parents and my brother and my good friends here to, to kind of celebrate with me. So... If you guys haven't already come by to say hi to them, please come on by cuz you guys are such wel- wel- warm welcoming people that in- invited me here 11 years ago. But friends, I haven't been always been a happy person. You know, not, not very long ago, I was going through some major depression. But outside, I looked good. You know, I had a nice a good family, I had good many friends, I had a good job. I drove a nice car, I traveled, had lots of adventure, and I was active socially. From the outside, I looked like I was happy and complete. But inside, I was empty, and I was lonely, and I was living life day one day at a time. My brother, brother probably could remember that I was going through some bad times. I was drunk almost every night. But, but things started to change. You know, one day I walked into a Bible study and found many answers to my life and also th- answers to this broken world. I learned the truth about God and Jesus, and you know what? The truth does set you free. <clears throat> and, and I was also invited to a men's fellowship, and for the past 11 years, I had many Christian brothers and sisters, uh, and brothers, really who supported me and prayed for me. You know, where I once felt unlovable, I was totally blown away by God's unconditional love, his agape love. Even when I cursed his name, God loved me. I really deserved to go to hell, but God had mercy on me. You know, I felt unforgivable. I did a lot of bad things, but I felt God's amazing grace every single day. Who am I? I'm just a sinner. I'm not I'm not much of a I'm not a great son, I'm not even a good brother or even a good friend. But God had mercy on me. You know, and but and I felt that if I died, no one would miss me. The world would just keep moving on. But God cared. He cared so much that he sent a whole bunch of Christians into my life to help remind me that he that God loves me and that he loved me so much that he sent his only son to die for my sins. So 11 years ago at my, at my uh, previous pastor's house at Men's Fellowship, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I've been wanting to get baptized since. So today I'm getting baptized to faithfully follow Jesus' example, and I've decided, and I'm going to quote from Joshua twenty four fifteen: as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
1: That confession of faith, um, of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, my brother. In the <laughs> so name of Christ and baptism. Woo.
0: What a gift! Right. 170 years we've gotten to see people saved and baptized what a gift well this morning thankfully God does begin new works he's a God who is faithful to begin but I am grateful also that God does not just begin a new work and then just kind of leave us right because number two and this is our second point God is faithful to sustain and that's really important life is hard <laughs> There's many times that I wish that when I opened the Bible, I I would read that the moment you give your life to Jesus, that your your circumstances get better, that life gets easier, that your, your struggles go away, your suffering ceases. All of us know better. The life of a believer has very, very many great days, but it also has very many terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, right? There's times and seasons where you're on a high, and yet there's the valleys that come. Here's the deal. God's promise is not that we're gonna have your best life now. It's not that you're gonna automatically get all these things that you've ever wanted. God's promise to each one of us who are his, who have given our lives to Jesus is this, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will sustain us, that he will give us what we need, that nothing can separate us from his love. And there's no greater promise than that. A couple of verses, Hebrews 13, verse five says this, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Romans 8, 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We may not always understand why things are happening in life. We may not be able to get our, our mind around what God could be doing in the background of our life that we can't see. But, friends, we have to hold on to this truth the Lord is my helper. He is my helper. I cannot tell you the number of times in my life where I have fallen before the Lord saying, I do not have the wisdom that I need. I do not have the strength to move forward. I do not have the abilities that I need. I don't have it. And yet when I'm able to look back on those moments, where do I see? I see the fingerprint of God. He never left me. He never forsook me. He was there with me and he was using all things to accomplish his purpose. Well, as we think about the history of our church, God's sustaining presence, his fingerprint is all over the history of our church. Just like most of our lives, this church has had a lot of high highs and it's had a lot of low lows. You think about the low lows. I mean, our church has endured two major earthquakes and three major fires, right? When I say this church endured, I don't mean all the buildings. The buildings sometimes didn't make it, right? But the congregation endured God was with us and he moved us through those trials. Uh, Another major obstacle for this church in its history is the transient nature of this city, both with members and with pastors. Uh, You look at the history, there were times where this church dwindled to about 20 people. There were other times like the 1940s where it was over 2,000 people. And yet through both the highs and the lows, God has enabled his gospel to be declared in this church. His truth to be upheld in this church. The pastors, you look at their history. Osgood Wheeler, our founding pastor, was only here for two and a half years. And then he moved away. If you look at the list of pastors in your brochure, almost half of them were here three years or less. So very short tenures. And yet, what did God do? Every time one pastor stepped away, next person in continually providing for this church. Every time this church faced a financial problem, the church did not have the resources it needed after the 1906 earthquake to build this building. But you wanna know what God did? God put it on the heart of John D. Rockefeller to give money to Baptist causes. And you wanna know what paid for this? John D. Rockefeller. God used a man to build build up this building. Every time this church has faced hardship, he's been there. He has sustained us through the highs. He's sustained us through the lows. And our God is faithful to sustain. I want you to think about your own life this morning. How has God been faithful to sustain you? Think about the, the dark seasons of your life. Where is the fingerprint of God? How has he worked to not only begin a work in your life, but to sustain you for his presence to enable you to move forward? I want you to hear a testimony from one of our church members.
3: So I um, started going to church with my mom at a young age and even before going to church I was a I was a good boy who uh, always listened to my parents uh, and did well in school and rarely got into trouble after going to church I I learned to start to pray and read my Bible regularly um, and I just wanted to please God and believe that by being obedient, Uh, I would be blessed and rewarded. I also developed a a really deep conviction of right and wrong. Um, And this conviction and my strict obedience uh, grew and it grew and it grew grew into self-righteousness. My self-righteousness grew throughout college where I became extremely judgmental of basically everyone. I even remember reading the passage of the woman who anointed Jesus and thinking, maybe I had this whole Christianity thing uh, wrong. If I had lived a sinful life like this woman before coming to know Jesus, maybe I would be forgiven much and therefore love him much. To make the long story short, uh, not too long after in college, I started slowly but progressively falling into sin. And one sin led to another sin. sin, Um, sin, And no matter how hard I struggled, my sin grew to include many of the same sins that that I used to judge in others. And as is with many many sins and addictions, 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 I could only manage them for a little while before my life started to unravel and fall apart. I came to a point where I was completely broken. I was empty. Unemployed, I was unemployed and brokenhearted. Unemployed, I remember uh, one day closing my eyes to look into the future, and the only thing that I saw was complete darkness. You will never know hopelessness until you try to imagine a future and see darkness staring back at you. In that moment, I fell to my knees and, and cried out to God. I distinctly just crying out to him, not even knowing what to say. But I heard him in that moment. Seek your first love. So around 20 years ago, the Lord started to bring me back to himself and to this church. I started coming here. God surrounded me with people from this body who loved me, prayed over me, and pour their lives into me. Some of them back here today. Some of them still here today. God never gave up on me. But in his perfect timing. Not only did he restore me to himself. But he gave me a great gift. To love him much. Because I am forgiven much. Fast forward to a few years ago. I started Hearing God asking me, do you know why I have created you? And I think we all wrestle with this question from time to time. I asked and sought for an answer to that question. And having been churched for a while, I knew what the theological answer to that question is. That we are created to worship and glorify God. (laughs) Problem is, that answer was not fulfilling, nor did I feel it was the answer he wanted me to find. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep asking. I wondered, does God want me to find a specific purpose in life? Did he have a mission for me? Then one day this year, the question came again Do you know why I created you? This time I heard an answer an answer that was so simple yet profound, an answer that is so humbling. Do you know why I created you? Why, Lord? Because I love you. Because I love you. Looking back at my life, I realize and know that the answer has always been because I love you. And I know that the answer will always be because I love you. I don't know what the rest of my life has in store, but the one thing I do know is that he loves me.
0: I know there could be countless others in this room who could share a story of how God not only began a work in their life, and yet he sustained through the darkness. He sustained through that season. God is faithful to sustain. God is faithful to begin. God is faithful to sustain. But today we're going to conclude with this. God is faithful to complete. He completes every work that he starts We may not always see what God is doing. We may not even be able to comprehend what the end is going to be like, but you need to know, friends, from God's perspective, it's as good as done. When he says something, he's going to bring it to completion for his glory and for our good. Romans 8, 28 says these words, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That word glorified is talking about the bringing to an end. What Paul is saying here is from beginning to end, you can count on God to do all the work necessary to bring you to salvation. He calls, he justifies, he forgives of sins and he will glorify, he will bring you to completion. That's why he says in Philippians 1, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about the day of completion, he's talking about that day in the future where Jesus is going to return. All of the sin, all of the sorrow, all of the death, he says, is going to be made right on that day, on the day of completion. He says, on that day, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. We will be in the presence of our God. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death at the day of completion. Unfortunately, that day, as far as we know, is not today. And so we live this life with uh, what seems to us like an uncertain future, fearful things that come against us. But friends, we have to hold on to this truth. God is faithful to bring all of this to its completion. Today, we've heard testimonies of how God begins. We've heard testimony of how God sustains but I just want you to imagine the testimony of the countless believers who have been part of First Baptist Church of San Francisco that have already been now with the Lord. They've gone to be with him. I can only envision it, but I would picture them lining up one by one. Miriam Peterson, Daniel Macapagall, Billy Butler, Carol Mann, Stephen Sarkisian, Phil Busby, Lydia Phelps, How- Hundreds of Lucille Millard, Louis, Julianel, the line would extend. Hundreds and hundreds of people all the way back to Osgood and Elizabeth Wheeler. And if they could, they would declare to you today God is faithful to complete his work. We may not see it today. We may not look. We, we look and we see uncertainty. We see fear. God is going to bring it to completion. He is a faithful God. Every work he starts, he finishes. And that's why Hebrews ten twenty three says these words, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I want you to sit with those words on this day. He who promised is faithful. The people of Israel, after they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, they didn't just keep going. God said, I want you to stop there for a moment. And I want you to stop and I want you to take 12 stones and I want you to lay these stones. These are to be your stones of remembrance. Every time you see these stones, you are to remember God was faithful to us. He took us out of our slavery. He brought us into this new land and this was meant to be a memorial of that. I wonder for each of you in this room, what are the stones of remembrance that you have in your life to remind you week after week, season after season, high, low, God is faithful. What are your stones of remembrance? One of the things that I love about uh, our house is we've got stones of remembrance in the form of pictures all over our home. I have them in my office, moments, key things from Rachel and I's life that remind me, no, no, no matter what I may think in this moment, God is faithful. This service for our church is meant to be one of those stones of remembrance, an opportunity for us to stop and to remember and tell again God is faithful. It's why we've invited all of our kids to be in the service. We want our kids to know about the faithfulness of God, of what he's done in this church and what he can do in their lives. It's actually fitting that this dropped because I was going to actually show you this. So today we've, we've put together a little bit of a stone of remembrance. Another thing that Rachel and I do every year is when Christmas comes around, we have ornaments and there's ornaments that remind us of different seasons of life where God has been faithful. And we wanted all of you in this room, every family, to walk away with some stone of remembrance. And so today at the block party, we've got a booth where you're going to pick up a Christmas ornament, which has our church on it, the dates of the church. It just just a stone of remembrance. Look at what God has done in the life of our church. But as great as these are, nothing compares together regularly to the Lord that he has given us as the church. And that is that we are to come together regularly to the Lord's table. When we come to this table, we come and we remember the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We come and we we open it and we see the, the bread, we see the cup. And we take of it and we remember the faithfulness of Jesus, whose body was broken for us. He came and took the punishment for sin that we deserved. We take the cup. And we remember his blood was shed for me. His blood secured my forgiveness. We remember the faithfulness of God. And then as all of us as a congregation come forward and we take these and we see our brothers in Christ and our sisters in Christ all taking of communion, what are we doing? We are proclaiming to one another the work of Jesus is enough. He is faithful. And we are called to do this until he returns until he comes and completes this whole work that he has done. And so today, as we conclude our service, I am going to invite all of you in this room to come to the Lord's table and remember the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to you, to this church, to those who know him. If you're not a Christian this morning, I would ask that you not partake of the Lord's Supper, but instead, would you just consider the truths that you've heard this morning, that Jesus died because he loves you. He died on the cross to secure your forgiveness. You do not have to earn God's love. It's there, but you have to receive it as a gift. You have to turn from your rebellion of God and turn to trust in the work that Jesus has done for you. Consider that this morning. But if you are a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna invite you in just a moment, David's gonna begin to play. And I'm gonna invite you just to take a moment, reflect upon God's faithfulness for a moment. Thank Jesus for what He's done on the cross for you. Confess any sin that you need to confess. but when you're ready, I invite you to come to the table. There's one in the front, two to my sides and one in the balcony. We invite you to come and go ahead and take the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of Jesus' faithfulness to you. Let me read this scripture, and then we can enter into this time of communion. First Corinthians 11:23. comes. Today, as a church family, may we take of the Lord's Supper together. Take a moment to pray, spend some time thanking the Lord for his faithfulness, and when you're ready, go ahead and come and partake of the communion elements.